0: Vengeance, revenge, payback, and even a more popular term, karma. What goes around, comes around. Now, these are words that fit nicely into our present society. From the schoolyard to the boardroom, from the politician to the everyday citizen, we are all too familiar with the idea of revenge. It's commonplace in our lives, whether it's in the public square or in the privacy of our own homes. Personal revenge is celebrated through the media, romanticized through entertainment and expected in our society. Frankly, we would find it quite strange if one didn't pay back someone who hurt them. Payback sometimes for some, Wrong that's been done. So natural for us. Almost like going to the doctor. When that doctor hits your knee. And your, your leg pops up. Sort of automatically. Spontaneously. Without any effort. Without any uh, brain cells being moved. Without any decision. We, we automatically. With a snap of the finger. React. With Vengeance with revenge, or even with the subtle reservation that karma is going to get you. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that celebrates these things, but what about the church? What about among God's people? So often we find these Aspects of our society popping up among God's people. Should we expect to find revenge in the church? Are we not justified in seeking the rights or to right wrongs that have been done to us? What do we do when we have been the victim of injustice? When someone has wronged us, are, are we not justified In seeking to right wrongs? If someone inflicts pain upon us, is it not right and even righteous for us to cause them equal pain? Friends, these questions are good questions, important questions. And our Lord understands the fallenness of man. He understands the fallen condition in which we find ourselves in a world filled with injustice, filled with wrongs. And how are we to be people, righteous people, right people, salt and light people in the midst of this? Well, as we think about retaliation, as we think about uh, vengeance or revenge, it's helpful to remember this morning, that Jesus is calling His disciples uh, to a greater righteousness. Jesus is not taking the Old Testament and changing it. Jesus is not taking the law and saying it's unimportant. I've got a new set of laws. Jesus is not taking the ethical standards of the Old Testament and elevating them to a new plane. Rather, Jesus is is. Calling his disciples to a righteousness that is exceedingly better than a different flavor than the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is describing here in the Sermon on the Mount a righteousness that is part and parcel to the kingdom of God. He is teaching his disciples what it means to be in the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is not some future reality. It is a present reality. It, is, it, it, it exists between a tension uh, between the already and the not yet. No, the kingdom has not fully been inaugurated. It has not fully come. But when the king came, the kingdom came with it. And so for 2000 years, little by little, Jesus has been expanding his kingdom when he calls sinners from the kingdom of darkness and ushers them into the kingdom of the beloved son. As people bend the knee to King Jesus, the kingdom grows and the kingdom influences. And no, that doesn't mean this world is progressively getting better. What it means is, is that the kingdom is taking over more and more territory. That the darkness of the kingdom of darkness is slowly and subtly being overcome, not through greater territory, but through greater people repenting and believing in King Jesus. Now when you become a citizen of this new kingdom, one has to have some education, uh, some understanding of what it means to be kingdom people. As the Apostle Paul says that we've been transferred from one kingdom to another. Therefore, we need to understand what are the rules of the road of this new kingdom? What are the distinctives of the people of God who make up this new kingdom? And so Jesus' point is very clear. That one's person's ethics cannot, as we'll see today, be overrun by one's own self-interest. That one of the chief virtues... Of the kingdom of God, one of the distinctives of God's kingdom, and particularly kingdom people, is a lack of self-interest. A lack of self-love. A love for others is the virtue of the Christian kingdom. And so this morning we will think about what it means... To have vengeance. What what does it mean? How do we handle injustices? We want to consider this morning that as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are to love others by laying aside our personal rights and embracing a spirit of obedience in these new kingdom ethics. So brothers and sisters, I just want to be very clear on the front end. These obeying these commands in the sermon on the Mount do not gain you access to the kingdom of God. Okay. Let me say it this way. Uh, Obeying these commands are not the key that unlocks the door to the kingdom of heaven. Rather, Obeying these commands is evidence that you are a kingdom person, that you have been ushered in, that you've been invited into this kingdom. And so these are the expectations of a Christian. These are what is expected of kingdom people Jesus sets the bar high because through the power of the regeneration of the spirit, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This is to be a reality in our lives as God's people. And so we don't want to brush them away and become moralist and say, "Okay, all I have to do is obey these things and God loves me. Rather, we understand that because God loves us in Christ, because we have repented and trusted in Christ, this is now our new behavior. And this is what we strive for as God's people. Well, if you've not done so already, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 38. Jesus is speaking here. And he says, you, y'all, have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak As well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. What is Jesus' point? As Christians, as the as New Kingdom people, we are to avoid revenge in all circumstances. By cultivating generosity in our lives. And we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. And, and we don't want to just kind of interpret these, these commands isolated from the rest of the sermon. The rest of the instruction. This was a unit that has been put together. And so uh, we want to understand that and help, help inform our minds of this. But the, the, the main thrust that Jesus here is that as, as new covenant people, as kingdom people... We are not to take personal revenge. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's commanding us this morning, do not seek personal revenge. You don't need to be a scholar to figure that out. You don't need to have a PhD in in Bible languages to know that. Jesus's point comes through very clearly. And so the purpose of our time this morning is to really exhort us to exhort myself to fight, to fight the temptation to seek vengeance when others wrong us. Friend, you live in a fallen world. I live in a fallen world. You will be wrong. You have been wrong. You will be wrong. Perhaps even this morning you were wrong. Last night, tomorrow. People will hurt you. People will inflict pain upon you. And we need to understand that in the midst of these injustices, we must entrust ourselves to a good God. Do you believe that God is good? Because one of the temptations in the midst of suffering that the enemy whispers in your ear is that God is not good. Because if God was good, He wouldn't allow you to suffer. You've heard that. I've heard that. We need to entrust. We need to learn to trust ourselves to a God who will set all things right in the end. That our hope for the end. That is our hope. that, that, That all things will be set right. And So this morning... I want us to think about this question. How does the disciple of Jesus Christ respond when they have been inflicted with some sort of injustice? So I want you to kind of clear your mind for a moment and think about that question. How do Christians respond? Not how you've seen Christians respond, right? But how should a Christian respond when they have Suffered injustice. And we see in this passage first that personal vengeance is never, no not never, proper for the justified. Jesus makes so emphatically clear that vengeance, revenge, you could interchange these words, retaliation, is never the proper response for the justified. Secondly, in these three illustrations that Jesus gives, he makes clear that personal vengeance is to be avoided in all circumstances. There's not this proverbial context or case study that, oh, it's okay in this case, right? Some loophole. We, we love loopholes, right? We're always looking for ways to get around instructions. And Jesus, helpfully in this passage, says, look, I mean, I could list every illustration of the book, but at the end of the day, the point is this. It doesn't matter how bad the injustice is. There is never, never a case, never a circumstance where personal vengeance is justified, he says. Never. And thirdly, we see in this passage that generosity is the right remedy to fight against personal vengeance. So how do we fight against the temptation uh, to seek revenge? Well, Jesus helpfully there in that final verse, and, and then he'll continue in the next week. We'll, we'll continue this theme next week. Uh, that generosity, love for others is a remedy For the temptation to seek personal vengeance. That if we are people who are generous, uh, we will be less likely to seek personal revenge. So these are the three sort of things we want to think about this morning. So first, we see in verses 38 and 39 that personal vengeance is never the proper response for the justified. Let's look here at what he says. Verse 38, he Jesus, again, continues the similar theme as he's done. You've heard it said, or it was said. Again, you've heard that it was said. So he begins this again. He's hearkening back to either Old Testament law, Old Testament principle, or some practice related to an Old Testament law. So Jesus here, as a master teacher, as the one who has given and revealed the word, as the word who made flesh, he's righting wrongs. He's, He's giving interpretation to Some false teaching. He's clarifying where confusion culturally existed. And so in verse 38, Jesus says, y'all have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, where would they have heard that? Well, throughout the law, this principle of retaliation was surrounded. So is Jesus saying that the law was wrong? Was Jesus saying that, that Moses' law, that the law that God had revealed through Moses was broken? More than that, was Jesus saying that, okay, it's a new era of redemptive history. Therefore, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of mentality, is just is going to be pushed, pushed away? Not at all. You see, what had happened was, is that people, like so so often we do, took verses out of context. And a verse taken out of context is dangerous. And, And people would read passages throughout the Old Testament, for example, in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, or Deuteronomy chapter 19, that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There's no confusion about that. The Bible commanded that. But the context for that command was in the judiciary. It was judicial justice, corporate justice, which is what he's referring to. These Old Testament passages were were commands to the magistrate who holds the authority to inflict retaliation. What Pastor Rod was teaching us last week from Romans chapter 12. That it is the state that holds the authority to punish the evildoer, not the individual. And so the backbone of really any just society is just laws, which are guarded by just punishment. Punishments must match the crime. right? That's a principle that you and I know well in our American judicial system, or what we hope, right? If someone steals a candy bar, the, the judgment, uh, the sentence, the punishment uh, would be life in prison. We would find that the punishment didn't match the crime. But, for example, if someone murdered, what would be our expectation? We would say that it would be unjust if a, if a known murderer, a convicted murderer, was set free. We would be on the front lines of crying that that is unjust, that the punishment did not match the crime. This judicial philosophy is known as lex talionis, the idea of an eye for an eye. All throughout the, the Near Eastern world was this principle that when you do something, if you, pl- if you, you know, break someone's arm, they, your arm should get broken. But what Jesus here is not what he's doing here is not seeking to undermine this right principle, but to apply it in the right way. You see, he's not undermining the truth that that just governments have the right to retaliate when one of their citizens are hurt and they retaliate through just law and just punishment. Rather, Jesus here is going after individuals who take it upon themselves the role and responsibility of the state. Can you imagine what our society would be like if everyone sought retaliation for every wrong they did? That would be a disordered society. Why? Because rarely does our punishment match the crime done to us. Rarely do we inflict pain at the same level at which pain has been inflicted to us. Why? Because that blood, man, it gets rushed into our head and we don't think straight. When someone inflicts pain to us, what do we want to do? We want to inflict pain to them, but at a greater degree. And so Jesus here is addressing this particular cultural issue, but an issue as we will see is is before us today. That is we are not to take in our own hands personal justice and inflict violence upon another person because they inflicted violence upon us. So Jesus has this clear command, look there at verse 39, but contrasting idea, rather than taking personal vengeance, Jesus says, rather than misinterpreting, misquoting verse 38 from the Old Testament, I say to y'all, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist, he says. Now that word resist, the idea there is retaliate do not retaliate against one who is evil uh, don't seek revenge he says don't pay back those who inflict pain upon you notice, notice how he describes the evil those the one who is evil or the evil doer or in the context of the sermon on the mount the evil one the Satan himself, who is sort of behind the scenes working. The idea is don't retaliate against the one who hurts you and done genuine evil. So so be clear. I want to be clear here this morning. Look at the text. Jesus in no way brushes away the offense, does he? Jesus doesn't come alongside and put his arm around you and say, it's all right. You know, people people do wrong things and it'll be okay. Jesus doesn't pat you on the back and just sort of say, hey, that didn't matter. It wasn't as bad as you think. You're, You're thinking about this all wrong. No, no, he calls evil, evil, doesn't he? Jesus says evil has been done to you. Genuine harm has been done to your person. So no way does he brush it away. Jesus doesn't take away the pain. Jesus doesn't take away the injustice. Jesus doesn't uh, change the balances here. Rather, Jesus says you have a responsibility. Just like Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, if it depends on you, live peaceably with others. In other words it depends on there you have a moral responsibility when someone hurts you and it is this Jesus says it is to resist Resist he says do not retaliate do not meet evil with evil but meet it with good Now if you think about the person who's speaking here for just a moment Jesus, I mean, not me, Jesus here in the text. Of all the people that have ever existed, all the people who have faced injustice, I think Jesus has the claim, right? He was innocent but found guilty. He was tried for a crime he never committed. He was executed, punished by death for what? What did he do that was so bad that deserved death? Nothing. Yet Peter says of this, when he was reviled, says of him, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I mean, Jesus could have been, right? He could have just like, he's on the cross and he's just like, hey y'all, it's going down. Just, Just wait till my daddy gets a hold of you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't cry. What does he say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. In Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Now, I've never tried to, like, shear a sheep before. I've never led a lamb to slaughter. I just imagine that they probably kind of know what's going on. Uh, They're not dumb, and uh, they know something's, like, up, right? But I have tried to shave my dog, and uh, that thing is, like, crazy whenever you try to do it, right? It's, like, freaking out, squealing, acting like a fool, right? In other words, what's happening in the moment Should have resulted in a bunch of screaming and a bunch of to do. But what does Jesus do when he is inflicted? He shuts his mouth and doesn't say a thing. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 12. What we heard earlier in the scripture reading. Beloved, never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay it says the Lord. Now there's some trust in that passage, isn't it? The trust is that God will repay it. The trust is that God knows how to repay it in a just manner. As I alluded to just a moment ago, our justice is skewed, isn't it? Let's be honest. Our judgment of others is, is rarely fair. Fair. Right, Because we're so invested in it. Are we not? Uh, They've wounded our pride. They've they've hurt us. They've caused some sort of pain. Whether to our person or to our family. And we are going to get them back. But with God, the payment for which he pays is restrained. It's exactly what is required. His wrath is perfect. It does not go beyond what it should. Now, what does personal revenge look like for us? Friends, it is any intentional act where one inflicts violence upon another with the same level of pain in which they have caused you. And as I've alluded to, and, and I hope we just get a sense of, that rarely does our personal violence fit the crime. Therefore, when we seek vengeance and revenge, it is often unrestrained. We hurt to an extreme level beyond which this hurt that we have received. Friend, this morning, if you've been tempted to seek revenge, per, perhaps you have, you've actually sought revenge in your life this morning. And you've really not thought about how, how evil that was and how, how as a Christian that defiled the holiness of God and, and what God has called you. Friend, just confess that this morning to the Lord. Jesus died for our sin of revenge, our sin of vengeance. Perhaps this morning, someone has, has caused you genuine harm. Like Jesus, we don't mean to make little of it. We don't mean to make light of it. Uh, we don't. It, evil was done to you. Evil. That's what we call it. It was evil. And perhaps this morning, you're being tempted by the evil one to seek revenge. To retaliate. And friend, just go to Jesus this morning. Confess that. And rest in Him. Trust that in the end, the Lord will set all things right. Friends, as Christians, our first instinct when we are harmed is not to harm others. In return, we are to demonstrate genuine love for those who hurt us. Look what Jesus says as He follows this up. Verse 44, just Next section, we'll we'll again consider this at length next week. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Isn't that so oxymoronic of how we often behave? It's very opposite of our natural reaction. Love your enemies? Love them? Oh, I'll tolerate them, Jesus. No, no, no. He says, love them and pray for them. Friends, this is the natural response of God's people. Well, Jesus goes on, and and really the question is this, but but is there ever, Jesus? Is there ever a situation, is there ever a circumstance when I am justified in seeking personal vengeance? Just imagine the, the, the little boy in the back, the little disciple in the back. Well, Jesus... Oh, his name was probably Peter. Uh, Jesus, is there ever a case when I don't need to forgive? Right. Is there ever a situation where it might be justified that people might understand that it might be okay for me to seek retaliation? Is there ever a circumstance and Jesus comes and, and gives us these three illustrations? He says, no, there's really never a case. Look with me there at verse 39. Vengeance is not justified in violence, Jesus says. Look what Jesus says, verse 39, that second half. But but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. The picture here is of violence, right? Embarrassing, shameful violence. To slap someone with an open hand in this particular culture would have been... Uh, the, the, the pinnacle assault, all right, you might think, well, he just slapped him. I mean, it's really, I mean, how painful is that? No, no, no it, it, this goes beyond the physical pain. It is, is more about shame. He has been publicly shamed. Someone has publicly, and then, and friends, isn't that the worst kind of shame? Isn't it public? Everybody knows that you're, a, you've been a made a fool. And Jesus says your reaction when someone inflicts pain, violence upon you, is for you to turn the other cheek. Do not say, Proverbs 22 says, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Repay no one evil for evil, Paul says. Or verse verse 9 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. In other words, Jesus says, look, if someone smacks you, don't retaliate against that. Don't return that evil that's been done to you with more evil. Secondly, we see a second illustration in verse 40. Vengeance is not justified in legal action. He describes a situation there in verse 40 that if someone was to sue you and take your tunic, that's your, your clothes, like your undergarments, Give him your cloak as well. Give him your coat, your outer coat as well. Again, Jesus doesn't mean that we're just to lay down and take a beating, all right? I'll address that in just a second. But what Jesus is meaning is that personal vengeance is not justified in this moment. Jesus is saying our reaction, how we react to a Bad situation isn't to heap more bad upon it. And so does Jesus mean. Is Jesus advocating some form of passivity here? I think that's to wrongly understand Jesus's point. I do not believe that Jesus is advocating for a form of passivity. Which means that the disciple, the Christian, uh, has no right to defend themselves. That, that, that I think you're taking this verse out of context. Uh, clearly, later on in the gospel, he'll tell his disciples to sort up, you know, get some weapons. Um, and uh, and infas- infamously, Peter, of course, uh, uses his weapon later to cut off someone's ear. Um, And so Jesus here in this passage is not teaching passivity. Jesus here is not denying us the right for self-protection or self-defense. He he doesn't say literally if someone slaps you, someone starts to beat you up, you just got to lay down and take it. It's not Jesus's point at all. Jesus is simply offering illustration of how we should respond when someone causes us harm. What action should we take when others hurt us? So again, self-defense is not wrong, but seeking to defend yourself at the same level in personal revenge is what Jesus is calling to avoid. So doesn't mean that as Christians, we don't stand up for injustices in this world. does it mean that we don't fight for the fatherless and the widow. It doesn't mean that when we see someone wronged, we just say, "Ah, it is what it is. It's a fallen world. No, no, we try. We seek to right wrongs, but we don't right wrongs by, by doing more wrong. I mean, how foolish it is to see the way this world acts when injustice is done injustice is done, and what happens? We blow, burn a city down. That that seems wise. Right? So, some, some bad thing happens, and so what do we do? We, we heap more evil into the situation. Brothers and sisters, that is not the Christian way. We don't, we don't throw words around and throw accusation around as Christians. We don't We don't verbally assault someone because they verbally assaulted us, or becomes because some assault has taken place. Let me see here in verse forty-one, that vengeance is not justified in extortion. Jesus here describes a situation which would have been quite commonplace for a Jew. The Jewish people were living in subjugation uh, by the Romans and a Roman soldier could walk up to anyone at any moment and say hey I want you to carry this I want you to do this and you had no legal recourse whatsoever. If anyone forces you to go 1 mile, go with him 2 miles he says. Of course, inf- infamously here in Matthew, Matthew 27, Simon son of Cyrene was was called to carry the cross of Jesus. He was compelled, it's the same verb, forced. To carry his cross. And again we look to Christ in this manner. When we are forced to do things. Consider him who endured from such sinners hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3. In other words. Friend you are going to face hostility. We don't think this world is is amazing and and smells like roses. This is a broken world. It is a fallen world. Brothers and sisters, I know some of your stories. You you have faced this hostile world. You, You have faced some of the most unspeakable evil. But as Christians, we are to have hope. We, we are to have courage. We are not to grow weary. The author of he- we're not to grow faint hearted. He says because we are considering him who endured hostility for us. Friend, how are you being tempted to seek revenge right now? You know, I, I, as I thought about the, the, the way this world seeks revenge, the way that that perhaps we are tempted I have found that, that revenge lies more subtle in our everyday lives. This is what I mean. You know, how often when we're driving on the highway and someone cuts us off, are we inclined to go crazy and cut them off? I am confessing sin to you this morning. Um, or when someone is walking slowly in front of us, we we just we get aggravated, and then we do something silly to them. Or those hurtful comments from a coworker, we seek to get them back by heaping more words or gossip. Or perhaps this, and this is the one that really struck me. How about when you've received poor service at a restaurant? What do you do? Well, I bet you don't do the Christ honoring thing. What do you do? Oh, I'm going (laughs) to, no tip for you. Man, I'm glad Jesus doesn't work that way. Because none of us would ever get a tip, all right? (laughs) We do. It's subtle, isn't it? Revenge is so subtle in, in our lives, in our day-to-day lives. We, we're so tempted to get back at people. Some Facebook post or some social media thing. Some, some snide comment that's given us. We're so quick. So tempted. Jesus makes so clear that there is never a circumstance where we are justified in injustice. We are never Justified. There's never a moral high ground for us to take as God's people in seeking vengeance. But, but, we are to entrust ourselves to Him who judges justly. We are to trust in that biblical truth. It is a truth, it is not a lie. God is faithful. And there is coming a day, brothers and sisters, when all will be made right. It will. I Trust that. It will be made right. Live in fear of that. It will be made right. All that is hidden will become, uh, be, become seen, brothers and sisters. Okay? Trust this. Well, how are we to deal? How are we to fight? Well, Jesus concludes here in verse 42 by being generous. Pursue generosity. So giving and lending is one of the areas where we might be tempted towards retribution. Towards retaliation. And Jesus will go on to teach that in fact generosity is a means of fighting against evil. Give he says in verse 42 to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who borrows from you. Here's the here's the principle. We give so that we will receive. Reciprocal giving. All right. It's what I often call hallmark love. All right. (laughs) Romantic love. It is the bedrock of our gift giving in our society. And here's how it is. Well, honey, we got to go get them a gift because they gave us a gift. That is the exact opposite of gift giving. If you give gifts because someone gave you a gift, it's not a gift. It's a payment. Why don't we just swap money and be done with it? Generosity is giving without getting anything in return. Later on here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, look, don't be like the Gentiles, Right? Later on here, he says, don't be like them who go to the street corners and the synagogues. They tell everybody about how awesome they are. right? Y'all met them people before, right? Um, they go around talking about how good they are and how much they give. Truly, I say to you, verse 5 of chapter 6, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus here in chapter 5 in verse 42 says that we are to give to the one who begs for you. Here's the deal. When you give to a beggar, you have no expectation that you will receive anything in return. Poor people generally don't have money to give back. When You're right. Clearly, that's why they're asking for money. Jesus here is going after a behavior for which one Seeks to give with strings attached. He says, do not refuse the one who borrows from you. In other words, don't give with strings attached. This is a temptation. But rather, he points the disciples in this passage. And if you understand the greater context here, uh, as he continues as talking about loving and praying for those in, in need. That generosity is a means to deal with these particular temptations. Whether it is the temptation of vengeance or the temptation of anger towards those who are described as enemies. Disciples ought to be generous in such a way that demonstrates the unmerited favor that they have received. This is the gift that they have received in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unmerited gift giving. Biblical generosity, brothers and sisters, is unmerited and unconditional. And I fear that so often as Christians, our so-called generosity is merit-based and conditionally based. This is what I mean. We give to the local church because we think God is going to give us something else. It's a it's a pseudo prosperity gospel. I will be financially successful because I'm generous in my giving. God owes me that much. I've been sacrificial. If that is your motivation in giving, brothers and sisters, let me just encourage you with this truth right now: uh, God owes you nothing. All right. Um, and the only thing genuinely, biblically, he uh, that that God owes you, uh, or <laughs> or you have coming to you, uh, isn't a isn't a mansion and and some nice cars and whatever else you want. Um, but eternal hell separated from him. You understand? Like the gospel, the, the foundation is, is unmerited and unconditional. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is, while we were in active rebellion against him, Jesus Christ died for you. That is unmerited favor. And our generosity towards others. If our natural instinct when someone hurts us is to give and be generous. We will not want to seek vengeance. When our normal mode of action is to be loving. Then hatefulness will not be found. Psalm 37 describes such a righteous one. Listen, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. He goes on to say, as he considers, he's sort of sitting back in his recliner, contemplating all the people that he's seen in life. And the psalmist says, I have been young and now I am old yet. I have not seen the righteous or his children begging for bread. Why? Because he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. You see the correlation? One would conclude that if someone is giving all their money away, they would not have any money to to give their children bread. But the correlation is, is because they were generous, they had an abundance. Brothers and sisters, these are the characteristics that mark God's people. Uh, Not vengeance, but generosity. This is why, as you heard earlier in Romans chapter 12, and let me just encourage you to kind of camp out in Romans 12, particularly verses 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. To the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. The illustration there is of judgment. Do not overcome or be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's sort of summed up with that well-known phrase, right? Kill them with kindness, right? That's a biblical principle, brothers and sisters. It might look cute on a Hallmark card, but, but it is biblical that we are to overcome evil with good. Friends, you're gonna face evil today, overcome it with good. You're gonna face evil this week, overcome it with good. Be generous, be kind, be forthcoming, be known for your generosity, for your giving. When people refer or think about you, let let it be that they always think of you as one who is caring and loving. Are you more known for the way you react when someone hurts you? Are you more known as one who has killer instincts? Or whose first instinct is to give? To be generous, to be kind. Let your generosity be unmerited and unfavored, marked with the love that you have received in Christ. Friend, give generously. Seek the benefit of the doubt of others. Don't just assume others' motives. Seek their best rather than their worst. Friends, don't fight fire with fire, but with the sacrificial love of Christ. The truth that we've considered this morning, a sort of main idea, is that kingdom people are to avoid revenge in all circumstances by cultivating this biblical generosity in our lives. Brothers and sisters, let us be known as individuals and as a congregation that's marked by love. Let us fight the urge to seek our pride ridden reputation to seek our own honor above sacrificially loving others. Let us give ourselves truly not in only word, but indeed to a God who will judge justly. Let us have hope in that day and not. In our short and momentary revenge. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that this might be true of us. Lord, we know that it is hard. It is difficult to fight the urge to hurt when we have been hurt. And Lord, we do and pray that we might have our hope in eternity. In the truth that you will make all things right. That is not our responsibility. We are not to play God in that way. But may we, we submit ourselves to the one true and living God. It's for your glory we pray. In Christ's name, amen.